Well, hello, my friends. This is Mark Gladman, also known as Brother Frederick James, your friendly neighborhood monk in docs. Welcome to Monk on the Mic, the Monk in Docs podcast. This is episode nine, and this one is called Put Down Your Bucket. <laughs> okay, but before I encourage you to put down your bucket, I just want to say that as I record this and as this goes out, it is uh, just a day or two after the end of four weeks that my website, The Table, which you'll find at monkindocs.podia, P-O-D-I-A dot com, uh, my little resource website where there's a whole bunch of resources and studies and courses and audios and all sorts of stuff that I've created and continue to create and continue to populate that space with new things. Uh, Four weeks we've been there and my goodness, what a beautiful bunch of people have joined me at the table to do these things and study these things and read these things and share on these things. And uh, it's, it's so exciting to see people coming in and using the material and some people beginning to have conversations around them. So I just wanted to say thank you to all of you who have come and had a look at the table, whether you stuck around or not, you might have come and had a look and said it wasn't for you. Fantastic. I just really appreciate the fact that you came. Uh, For those of you who have stuck around, we've got some great stuff coming up. Uh, And um, a particular special thank you to the people who have become financial supporters or who have purchased things on at the table because your gifts have enabled me to uh, keep the table going and to keep the infrastructure there so that people can come and access a whole bunch of the material for free. And that is just a real blessing to be able to do that. And I just want to thank those people so much for their patronage and their support. It really does mean a lot that you're working in this ministry and you believe in it enough that you've thrown yourself in the ring to be a part of it together with me. So thank you. And I know some of you are starting to look into that. I've had a few inquiries about how you do that and so on. And and I just am really looking forward to this thing growing and thriving and being a blessing to so many. Uh, And on that note, I just want to say that in the very last week of Lent, that is the week leading up to Holy Week, on uh, probably the middle of the week there somewhere. So I think for most people, in, who are in the U.S., that will be on the Tuesday evening, I think. Um, we are going to have a gathering just as a kind of Lent wrap-up. So uh, those people who are in the Lent course, you'll get that information very, very soon. And if there's some spaces available, I only have space for 100 people and there's way more than 100 people on the Lent course, so hopefully we'll be able to get everybody in. If not, I may have to record it and make it available or do a second one. We'll make sure that um, people are able to see it and be a part of it, though. But if you aren't in that, then uh, or you're not a, a member, a subscriber at the table, uh, you may not hear about that. So if you want to be a part of that, this will be the very first live Zoom gathering that we'll be doing for the table, and it will not be the last. So I really look forward to... Uh, doing that. And as I said, you'll get information about that. And if you're not uh, subscribed, simply go to the the front page and hit the subscribe button and you'll just get emails uh, on what I'm doing there and can jump in on the things that you want to be a part of. 
uh, but do take a look at the um, ways that you can support the work at the table. It's really inexpensive and there's, um, you know, gifts abound. I mean, everything is free for anybody who supports at any level uh, what I'm doing, um, either of the three subscription options. So uh, have a look at that and, and really love for you to come and be a part of that if you can. Uh, so that's that one. And also, just to let you know that I am in the midst of recording a whole bunch of interviews for the podcast, for the Monk on the Mic podcast. And I'm so excited about the ones that I've done. And I'm so excited about the ones that are coming up and the people and the guests that we have coming up in some interviews in the next little bit on Monk on the Mic. And so they will be interspersed with uh, episodes that are like this one, but uh, make sure that you are subscribed to that and you can do that by either joining the uh, podcast page at um, the table website, monkindocs.podio.com or jump on your favorite podcast receiver, is that what you call it, uh, Spotify or Apple or Google or Amazon or whatever it is you use and um and subscribe and you'll be definitely then going to get a little dingle uh, notification when the new episodes go up. And like I said, you won't want to miss some of the great episodes and some of the conversations that I have coming up with a broad, really broad range of people talking about a really broad range of things that I think really suit the audience of the things that we're doing around uh, Monk and Doc. So that's that there and I really invite you to become and be a part of that but let's talk about um, putting down your bucket and this whole thinking that I'm going to share with you today emerged after I recorded the Between Two Sundays podcast with my friend Mark Beresford because this reading was one of the lectionary readings for one of the Sundays just a couple of weeks ago and the message that started to well up in me after we turned the recording off and I got off the call with Mark and I just started to take a whole bunch of notes and I'm really excited about this episode because friend I want you to know there are so many of us who are living and maybe this describes you so many of us are living not fully knowing and not fully experiencing what it is to have this ultimate connection with the divine this ultimate connection to God and the reality is, if you read the Gospels carefully, this was the whole of Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission was entirely, I think his message can be summed up in wake up and see. Wake up and see the kingdom of God around you. Wake up and see the presence of God around you and within you. Wake up and see the oneness of who we are in God. And this story in John chapter 4 from verse 5 to 42 is a really, really misunderstood story. And I think it's because of the misunderstandings that we completely miss some of these deeper layers to the story, which are, oh my goodness, so, 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 so enriching. So I know it's a bit of a cliche to say something like, there is someone out here who needs to hear this, but I really believe there's not someone out here who needs this. We all need to hear this. I need to hear this regularly as a reminder. And even if you know this well, I pray that what I share with you today continues to help you grow in your knowledge and in the security of, of what this story has to tell us. So I'm just going to read you 
Uh, I'm not going to read all the way to verse 42. I'm going to stop uh, at um, verse 28. Uh, but I'm going to start from verse 5, and then we're just going to talk about it a little bit and, and start to get to the heart of it. So here is the story from John chapter 4, starting at verse 5. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city named Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. And his disciples had gone to the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan? A woman of Samaria, a Samaritan woman. Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave this well to us, and his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship God in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such of those to worship them. God is spirit, and those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. And just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking to her? And then the woman left her jar and went back to the city. All right, she dropped her bucket. She put down her bucket. Uh, now, a long time ago, I read a story, an article, about a study that was done on what it takes for two people to fall in love. And what this study did was it took uh, 36 questions, and I think they were divided into three groups or four groups that started very, very surface level, and they went deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and got into some really deep nitty-gritty stuff that you wouldn't necessarily talk about with most people, at least on your first meeting. And then 
uh, after that they were done answering these questions, so the questions went back and forth. You would ask a question of the person across from you and they would answer and you would do nothing but listen. And then they would ask you the question and you would share back the, and then you would move to the next question. And you wouldn't rush this, you'd take it nice and slowly. And at the end, and this is the really cool thing, at the end, the scientists had these two people look each other in the eyes for four minutes straight saying nothing. Just looking at each other in the eyes. And as I understand this, it was the very first study, which you did it with one couple, that I think it was something crazy, like six months later they were engaged. Uh, and, and Or not long after anyway, they got engaged. They literally fell in love within whatever time it took for them to ask themselves these 36 questions and then stare into each other's eyes for four minutes. And the study talked about how the looking to each other's eyes thing was really important to this. It wasn't just about the questions. The questions developed a sense of intimacy between the two people. And, and none of the questions were, uh, as I can remember, because I've read them through a couple of times, they weren't sexual in nature or anything like that. But they were very, very um, deep and you had to be really transparent if you were going to share honestly. And, uh, you know, the intimacy that was there. But the deeper intimacy came when you looked into each other's eyes for four minutes. And anyone who's looked into someone's eyes, not in a creepy way, but in uh, a way that you wanted someone to be seen or you felt seen by someone knows what that experience is like and how important it is to most people. There are some people who either culturally uh, or whatever, you don't look into each other's eyes except in really intimate moments. So that, that's a real closeness thing that happens there. So some cultures reserve that just for um, you know people who are intimate with one another. But there's something to be said about what happens when you look into someone's eyes and someone looks into your eyes. And I think it's kind of true that the reason why when we see Jesus, we experience and see the fullness of what it lives completely immersed into God is because Jesus takes the time consistently. And we see this all the way through the Gospels. Jesus takes the time consistently to sit with God and look into the eyes of God and to allow God to look deeply into Jesus' eyes. And in that moment of intimacy, which we might call prayer, which we might call contemplation, which we might call being, or whatever you want to name it, in the context of that exchange of gaze, that looking deeply into one another's eyes, Jesus sees the truth of who he truly is. He looks into the eyes of God and sees who he truly is. Now, most of us would think that if we were to look into God's eyes, We'll ask yourself the question, if you were to look into God's eyes, what do you think God would see? And most of us come out with, oh, he would see sin, or God would see um, 
you know, um, pain or God would see hurt or God would see um, uh, someone horrible. But while I don't reject the notion that God would see all those things, God doesn't look at those things and name them. God doesn't chastise. God doesn't condemn. Uh, rather, what we see in God's eyes is a reflection of the deepest person that we are. And the deep desire to live into the thing or the person that we are. Uh, my good friend and spiritual director who's been on this show before, Patrick Oliver, he says it like this. He says, uh, in living as Jesus lives, in looking into the eyes of God and so coming to know who we are, we discover not only the truth of ourselves, but we see revealed who God is for us, full of grace and truth. So let's just go back to the story about this woman. And I want to pull a few things out here so you can kind of understand that what this woman experienced this day was literally being seen. Uh, in fact, uh, I know I've called this episode Put Down Your Bucket, but I was going to call it Seen, and I was also going to call it Look Into My Eyes, because Literally, that is what's going on in this story. And that's the thing that I really think John wants us to see, or the writer of John wants us to see from this story. Not that there's not other things there that we can glean from the text, but there's something much deeper that is, speaks to us in a really, really deep truth. So Jesus comes to the well, and there's a woman uh, who's there, uh, who's come to draw water. And... Uh, it's interesting that a lot of people say, because it's the middle of the day, it's about noon, that this woman is some sort of dirty, filthy, rotten sinner because she can't go and collect water in the cool of the day with everybody else. There is nothing in the text that implies that, and there's not even necessarily anything within the culture, as I understand it, and as I've studied around this, that would imply that either. Uh, a lot of people have supported that idea by the comment about the husbands that comes up a little bit later. And I'll get to that when we get there. But for now, let's just say that this woman is at the well at noon. And there may be a reason why she's there at noon. There may not be a reason why she's there at noon. There could be a cultural implication in, that's implied in the text. But really, it's so out to lunch in the research that's around this particular idea that it's probably best to leave that aside. So let's just say that this woman has come to the well and Jesus says to her, give me a drink. And her response straight up begins to show you how this woman is living. And it's not because she's a, a horrible, dirty, filthy, rotten sinner. It's got to do with her situation, yes, but it's got to do with the way that her situation has caused her to be. Straight up when Jesus says, can I have a drink? The woman says a number of things. She says, first of all, you are a Jew. And then she says, I am a woman of Samaria. So right up front, she's putting up a wall 
to set up a divide between Jesus and her. She's put up a wall and she's basically said, you're asking me for a drink. Listen, I'm over here. I am a Samaritan and I am a woman. You are over there. You are Jewish and you are a man. We are two very different people. How is it that you are even thinking of speaking to me, let alone asking me for me to give you something? She has put up a couple of things and saying that, first of all, pointing out that she's a woman, she's obviously saying her gender is something that is how she identifies herself. I am a woman. And there's nothing wrong with identifying yourself with that. But I think Jesus is trying to say there's something much deeper at play here and going on here. Because then she also says, not only that she's a woman, she says she's a Samaritan woman, right? So again, straight up, in that, in that Samaritan, she's done two things. One, she's talking about a religious situation and two she's talking about a political situation and I don't want to go too deeply into the whole relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans here you can go and read about that but there are a lot of political implications about this and there are a lot of religious implications about this which is why the Samaritans were derived derived hated so much by the Jewish people and, and why they didn't want to mix with them because religiously they saw them as separate and politically also they saw them as separate. So she's setting herself up in a particular identity. I'm a woman, uh, my, my gender, my religion and my politics from in which I'm living, they all define who I am. You are this religion, you are this um, politics, you are this man your gender, that, so these things separate us and cause us to be separated. So you can see right up, this woman's identity is in politics, religion, gender. And then it goes on, verse 10, Jesus answered her after she said this, saying, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked them and they would have given you living water. Living water water and she says you've got no bucket you don't have a bucket how are you going to pull living water out of nowhere you're saying you're going to get living water you don't have a bucket where do you get this living water interesting Jesus is saying I can draw on this living water and I don't need a bucket to do it why doesn't Jesus need a bucket to draw on this living water? Because he knows where this living water comes from. This living water is already within him. This living water, which he calls uh, a little bit further down. Let's discover that for a second. Verse 13. Jesus here, in verse 13, says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. So Jesus is saying to her that what you need to quench your thirst is deep within you. This is why I don't need a bucket. I don't need a bucket because I'm already a sponge. And or I'm already a drop that's in an ocean and the ocean is in the drop, right? To use the Kabir poem. Um, 
all of us, many know that the um, drop is in the ocean, that not many recognize that the ocean is in the drop. Slight paraphrase, but that was um, Kabir. And this is really what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that um, your thirst, the thing that you need to quench it, is deep within you and it needs to come up and out. And he literally calls it a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The, the word that's used there describes an artesian well. And if you know anything about artesian wells, they are deep and they are plentiful and they just keep flowing. We've got one here in Australia that starts up in Papua New Guinea and comes underground, goes under the uh, ocean that's between the north of Australia and the southern part of Papua New Guinea, and then literally runs deep under the earth all the way down pretty much the east coast of the country. And our farmers here draw on that because they can use it to water their crops and they can bring this water to the surface and they can uh, find plentiful water down there. And Jesus is saying, you've got a spring deep down inside you. I've got a spring deep down inside me. This is why I don't need a bucket. And this is why I don't need a bucket to find this water for you because you've already got it deep within you. An artesian well that is flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing with a living water that will quench your thirst and will never, ever run dry. And so she says, give me this water. This sounds awesome. Give me this water. And Jesus looks like he's changing the subject. He says to her, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus saying, says, you're right. You don't have one husband. You've got five husbands. And the one you're with now isn't your husband. And a lot of people have read this and said, look at this woman. She's just jumping from man to man to man to man. And now she won't even commit. Jesus doesn't condemn her here, which is very interesting. Then again, Jesus doesn't condemn anybody. Um, the woman caught in adultery, Jesus doesn't condemn her. Jesus doesn't condemn this woman, which maybe that, among other things that are in the scripture, should be a wake-up call to a lot of people who like to go around condemning people. Uh, probably not a good way to live because it kind of wasn't the way Jesus lived. But uh, I don't think Jesus is even trying to draw her attention to this um, bad way of living. I don't think it's that at all. There are lots of reasons why she may have had five husbands. Maybe some or all of them have died. Maybe some or all of them put her away, gave her a certificate of divorce, which at the time a man could do. A man could just go to his wife and say, I don't want you anymore. And there could have been lots of reasons for that. Maybe she couldn't bear them a child. And I went, well, that's it, putting you away. I'm going to go somewhere else where I can get me a child. Go with someone else who can do that for me. So there's lots of reasons why she's got put away by others. And, and perhaps the person she's with now isn't her husband because they're not in a romantic relationship. That she's simply there because... Again, in that time, women had very little agency. And most women, if they weren't with someone, just couldn't live. They couldn't, make, uh, they couldn't eat, they couldn't sleep, they couldn't have shelter, didn't have clothing. So is she with someone, whether linked or not linked, romantically, 
um, or not romantically, maybe, maybe just because she feels she has to in order to survive. But once again, Jesus is drawing this up, not to throw guilt and shame on her, but to say to her, this also is not your identity. Your identity isn't in who you're with. You don't need to keep trying to find someone in order to have an identity in the world. You don't need to keep grappling with your politics. You don't need to keep holding up your religion. You don't need to keep throwing yourself back on your, your gender. You don't need to find your identity in those things. Not that they're not important. But if you're clutching at those things to try and find your identity, you're not going to have your thirst quenched. And he takes it even further. Down in verse 20, our ancestors, she says, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. When she says you, she's not saying Jesus, because Jesus hasn't said anything about that. She's basically saying you Jews, right? Um, to which Jesus says, well, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship God neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, for you'll worship God in spirit and in truth. And so again, she's trying to find her identity in something and Jesus keeps pushing them away. Your identity is not in your politics or your gender or your religion. It's not in who you're with and the person you've got and the things that you can grab onto. It's not even about where you are geographically. None of those things will fully quench your thirst. It's not geographical though, not because you can't find it out there, but because it's not out there. It's already within you, that deep artesian well, which is probably why Jesus brought up the husbands, because he says to her, um, the water that I will give will gush out of you. And she says, give me this water. And he's kind of like, well, I, I will, but I, I kind of can't. You need to recognize it. We need to let go of some more of these things that you keep clinging to and clutching through, the husbands, the geography thing all this stuff, and she suddenly realizes because, and this is the cool thing, remember early on in the conversation when Jesus was talking to her about giving her living water, and she said, sir, you have no bucket. <laughs> you have no bucket. How? How will you draw water when the well is so deep. Where do you get this living water? You've got no bucket. I'm one of these people who likes to think that when there's something written in the text, it's there to kind of point us to something, to get us to think about it. And in verse 28, the very last part of the passage, that it does go on from there, but the last part of the passage that I read to you says, after they've had this conversation and Jesus has said, um, you know, you worship in spirit and truth. He said that there's this deep spring in every single person that it will give you living water that will never run dry. He said to her, don't find your identity in your gender or your politics or your religion or your geography or um, your, your, who you're with or not with. And then verse 28 says, then the woman put down her bucket. And she went back to the city. And that's the bit 
that's the bit that should make us go, oh, <laughs> right? She put down the bucket. Now, buckets were kind of important. But she was willing to leave her bucket. And here's why I think she was willing to leave her bucket. You've probably already thought about what this conclusion might mean. I believe she put down her bucket because she realizes where this spring, this deep gushing spring of water, it's clicked for her where it is. And she realizes, I don't need a bucket to collect this water. I can put down my bucket. I can put down of all the, down with all the things that I usually put in this bucket. The things that I put in this bucket will never quench my thirst. Just like if I drink water from the bucket, I'm going to get thirsty again. I can keep trying to find my identity and my religion and my politics and my gender and who I'm with or who I'm not with or in my geography. But all those things, I'll get thirsty again. The thing that I need to draw water from is that deep well of God's spirit rushing down within me. And I need to let that well up and I need to let that water quench my thirst. I need to let God and who I see God seeing in me, the true me, the real me. If you listen to my uh, episode um, a little while ago, where I, again, using Dr. Patrick's Oliver work, talk, Dr. Patrick Oliver's work, I talked about the me and the I. Uh, that was the episode called Shaking Off the Dust. If you haven't listened to it, go back and have a listen to that. And this woman is suddenly realizing, oh, I don't have to live from the me. I can live from the eye. And how did she discover the eye? She discovered the eye because Jesus looked her into her eyes and she looked into Jesus' eyes. And just like Jesus saw who he was deep in the eyes of God, so too this woman sees who she is as Jesus looks into her eyes and she sees what's in her through the eyes of Jesus. And she was able to put down her bucket. She learnt the truth about God and about herself. She learnt that truth is not some sort of abstract thought, but that truth is a person. Truth was discovered when she looked into the eyes of Jesus. And as she looked into the eyes of Jesus, she didn't just see the truth about who God was. She saw the truth about who she was. Jesus, Jesus knows the truth about who he is. Because Jesus consistently through scripture, as we said, takes time to gaze into the eyes of God. And when we... When we allow ourselves and give ourselves the space and the time to sit and to pray and to contemplate and to be and to be fully mindful and fully in the moment and fully experience what happens in that moment. When we fully engage in reality, 
we are able to see ourselves and we see ourselves in the person that God sees in us. And in that place, what you need to understand, my friend, is what God sees is not sinful and it's not um, bad and it's not uh, condemning and it's not uh, chastising or any of those things. What God sees in you is a child of God. That's exactly what God sees in you, a child of God. And it's so important that you see this and understand this. Uh, and it was so important that some people in the text of Scripture need to know and understand this. And it was so important that they need that God gave them new names. They were given new names. Completely, you know, Jacob was renamed Israel. Abram and Sarai were named, renamed Abraham and Sarah, literally putting the name of God within their name. Um, we see um, Simon being renamed as uh, Cephas. Uh, we see, um, uh, who else? Adam is this lump of dust and gets renamed as dust person. Um, uh, you know, in history, a lot of people who have become uh, monks or nuns or taken on some sort of uh, religious setting have been given new names to reflect who they are and or who they might be aspire to be like. And while it may not go that far for us, we may not all get a new name or a different name uh, from God. But the fact of the matter is that you already have a name from God and that name is simply child of God. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus does what Jesus does and is demonstrating to us what it looks like. When, when Jesus walks around, he's living out of the truth that he is a child of God. He is the son of God. And what we need to understand is that that's modeling for us what we should also embrace, that we would go through life learning to see everything through the eyes of the reality and the truth that God has named you a child of God. But you only will fully understand that when you regularly sit down and look into the eyes of God. If it only takes four minutes and then 30, well, 36 questions before that, but four minutes for two people to fall in love that they end up being married. Uh, and of course, it, it didn't work with everyone in subsequent ones, but there was certainly an intensified level of intimacy that arose between two people in every single um, study that's been done on this. Will you dare to look into the eyes of God and not see criticism and condemnation, but see you, who you really are, a child of God? And so, my friend, may you know, may you find the truth as you look into the eyes of God that you have been named as a child of God. May you always remember the truth in knowing your name. 
and knowing the truth of your name being named as a child of God. May you experience the reality uh, that the truth is there when you look into the eyes of God and you see clearly the truth of who you are. May you, as you look into the eyes of God, and God looks deeply into your eyes, suddenly realise that all the other things that you have held up as your identity mean very, very little to God because this God loves you as a child regardless of any of the labels you or anybody else care to give yourself. May you put down your bucket <laughs> and live and have your thirst quenched from the spring of living water that Jesus has told us today lives deep within every single one of us. And may grace, peace, love, hope, the name of God and that spring of living water. And it's not just for you, but it's for you to share with all those you come into contact with. May all those things be with you and remain with you this day and every day, my friends. Amen. Oh, I really hope you hear my heart here. I really hope that you see God's love for you, my love for you. And I really hope this deep well of water becomes a reality for you. And if it's not, or you're struggling, get in touch with me. Let's talk about it. Let me help you try to see it more deeply. Or at the very least, just spend some time gazing into the eyes of God so you can be seen and so you can realize who you truly are so you can put down your bucket. Until episode 10, peace be with you. Bye now.